here and let's get to it, shall we? All right. Well, I am very, very excited to introduce my first guest. Sarah Buchanan is a Radio Vancouver geek whose roots reach out across our fair country. She first rocked the FM radio waves at UVic's campus and community station CFUV. And before that, she lived a life of audio wonder in southern and eastern Ontario. But now Sarah considers Vancouver her home base. A former CBC Radio 3 nerd, Sarah started producing her own podcast entitled Life After radio shortly after her CBC contract ended. Episode one hit the internet on Valentine's Day of this year, and just this past weekend, Sarah hosted a live taping of episodes five and six at Vancouver's Western Front. With help from CITR's own Chris Rific, City Councillor Andrea Raymer, and Andreas Carre, former director of Front Magazine, Sarah and a host of others put on quite a show at the Western Front this weekend. And I am very pleased to say that joining me now over the phone uh, to talk about Life After Radio is Sarah Buchanan herself. There, Sarah, thanks so much for joining me. You're welcome. How uh, how are you? <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> uh, it's a little gross outside and I biked because it is bike to work week, but otherwise. Oh, well, that's good to know because my legs are currently very damp and cold from doing that very thing. Uh, yes. I, I always, when it's beautiful in the morning, I always forget to pack my rain pants and then the rain hits halfway through the day and I'm sitting wherever it is I'm doing work and uh, it's you just... You get wet bum. Yes. I'm not a big fan. But anyways, um, we're not going to talk about Bike to Work Week yet, but um, we're going to talk about Life After Radio. So for the people listening who haven't heard an episode, um, or when people ask you what this podcasting thing is that you're doing, what do you usually tell them? Well, normally I tell them that it's a Vancouver-based podcast uh, about things that people in Vancouver get excited about. Mm. Um, So, I I mean, I know that sounds really vague, but it tends towards arts and culture, Mm -hmm. um, but isn't really limited to that. Like, we've done stuff on fermenting, we've done stuff on bear stories. Um, So it's, it's kind of a an all-over-the-map show, but it's, it has its roots in Vancouver and a lot of Vancouver-based content. Right. Yeah. So why did you decide that you wanted to do a podcast rather than trying to, I don't know, get a show on CITR, for example, or use a more traditional platform? Well, it's, it's funny you should ask that, yeah. uh, Tracy, because I, I did at one time try to get a show on CITR. Oh, really? And, and uh, did not, did not get a show. So oh, uh, I, who do I? We'll talk afterwards, and then I'll have someone <laughs> yeah. to beat up around here. <laughs> I know. And I started out actually in you know campus broadcasting back in Victoria, um, but the podcast more came out of a desire to reach people when they wanted to be reached. And mm-hmm. I know as someone who can get really scattered, I really really appreciate being able to pick and choose when I want to listen to things, mm-hmm. um, and being able to sort of like snuggle up, you know, get ready to listen to it and. And have it be more of an event um, rather than kind of like, oh, you know, oh, I think this thing is on right now. So I wanted, I wanted that intentionality in my listeners. Mm-hmm. And when you're going for, I think, a really in-depth, you know, emphasis on good production show, I think it is important to have that intentionality from people. Definitely. And I think one of the things that I like the most that I, I was emailing you about just a minute ago uh, mm-hmm. about your podcast is that you do bring us into people's lives. For example, the Fermenters show, we actually go into people's kitchens and you make, um, what is it, sauerkraut? Mm-hmm, and, yeah. uh, and then you actually uh, look at the miso that's being made. And we hear, as a listener, <laughs> we're adventuring with you into these places that perhaps we never might have either known existed or have visited ourselves. Yeah, there's some pretty, there's some gross miso sounds in that one. <laughs> yes, yes, there part. are. <laughs> Did you get your microphone right down in there? Uh, yeah, I was afraid the brown sludgy and slime mold on top of the miso was actually going to hit the microphone at one point. Oh, I don't know. I don't know whether you could actually wash that or get that taste, smell, stench, <laughs> etc. Goodness out. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> but it's the first sound you hear in the Fermenters podcast. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
I'm wondering whether, like, I, I saw uh, an ad for Life After Radio in the Front magazine. Mm-hmm. And um, I know you have a Facebook group and a website, but how else are you getting the word out about your podcast? Because, I mean, it's not like you've got radio spots being like, listen to the Life After Radio podcast. Yeah, that's, that was the uh, initial big challenge with a podcast is that you don't have that initial, you don't have that audience that's mm. ready to go right there. Um, and that's one of the drawbacks. So you really have to put a lot more energy into things like, you know, making little flyers, handbills, um, having live events, which, uh, as you mentioned, I just had um, partly as a way to get a bit of publicity and get the word out mm-hmm. um, and just kind of like meet a lot of the people who are listening. Right. Um, yeah, get, getting people to forward it on, email it to their friends. Like the first one was just purely done on uh, on people forwarding it and emailing it. So, so you really got to make sure that people like it because that's the only way they're going to forward it on and recommend it. Right. And so have you got a sense of how your li- listenership has grown over the past five episodes? I do, yeah. I mean, uh, another good part of being web-based and having a podcast is that you can track kind of who's hitting your site. And, you know, you can't track everything about it, but you can see kind of which shows are getting more hits and more downloads and where the spikes are in listenership and why that is. So. Any big surprises so far? Oh, I don't know. I guess the biggest surprises have been from random people blogging about me and writing about me. Hmm. So I'll just kind of see the numbers go up randomly one day and be like, oh, Beyond Robson wrote about me. Great. Hmm. And, and I'll go check that out. So it's nice to know when there, when there is a bit of a buzz and it's nice to see what people are saying about it. So. Right. Because the majority of it has been positive because it is such a fantastic freaking show. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no problem. Well, not not all all positive, but uh, yeah. Really? I, there's um, been, uh, it's funny how the, sometimes the negative stuff sticks in your mind, but I remember, yeah. remember one comment that was kind of like, oh, you know, you haven't found your voice yet. You're just copying this American life, la, la, la. And I was like, oh, uh-huh. why? Because I'm I'm telling stories? Is it, you know, is it so crazy that people would want to tell stories in radio? Like, is that such a, you know, unique thing to this American life? But I don't know. Not at all. I I would say. I would argue that that's the whole point of, well, news in general, but the way that we've been sharing stories ever since, you know, Marconi hooked up his first radio is, Mm -hmm. like, this is a medium for us to communicate with each other and to tell each other stories. And perhaps it's gotten a little, like, box-like and and so static in terms of the way that most people think a radio show is supposed to be, that once one person is doing something different, everyone's like, oh, you're copying that other person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, as they say. That's true. Um, I wanted to ask about um, the live show this past weekend, um, Mm. specifically because I'm going to play the first part of it after we're uh, finished chatting. But um, it sort of strikes me that uh, for a podcast called Life After Radio, that hosting (laughs) a live radio taping is a little more of a traditional, contradictory, maybe, idea. That's true. how uh, how, What made you want to do the live taping? Well, to be honest, it came out of uh, Front Magazine wanting to have a launch party and approaching me about potentially just organizing a party not connected to the podcast. And mm. and I had always kind of wanted to do a live taping of, a, of the show because it's such a great way to actually be in touch with who's listening because that's the one, you know, you kind of feel like you're talking out into this giant unresponsive sea sometimes yeah. when you're doing radio and I'm like, you know, in my little room editing for three days at a time, like talking to myself and you start to lose a sense of who's listening and what affects people. Mm-hmm. So I think that having a live show once in a while is a really good way to see who's out there and to, you know, see what people respond to. Um, and it was, a, it was a way to have a fundraiser as well. Right. You know, funding is something that I'm looking for in order to be able to pay web developers, artists, um, you know, editors, mm-hmm. be able to train people, get new equipment, things like that. Definitely, because there are a, lo- a number of people involved in every single one of your shows. And uh, mm-hmm. as you say at the beginning of, of this episode five of Life After Radio, a lot of people can't, well, the way that funding structures work these days, people don't get enough pay for doing these sort of things, even though we all enjoy listening to them. There isn't really, the old model doesn't work in terms right. of getting money for these sort of things. So, Yeah, 
And it's hard because I don't I don't want to you know just like pester people to to give money for this kind of thing. Like I really don't people to, to I don't want people to feel like they have to pay to listen to this kind of thing. That's not what it's all about. Mm-hmm. But there is kind of a conception out there that oh if you if you work in the arts you don't need to get paid for your work. You're just doing it for the love of it. And I think that uh, something has gone wrong there. Yeah. And there's an idea that it's not worth the same kind of thing that, like, you know, going to an office and, and working on a computer or a spreadsheet is somehow worth worth money. But, mm-hmm. yeah. I completely agree. Um, I, I wonder, well, my next question, and while well, I mull over this funding structure because like echoes of Stephen Harper in my head and just the ridiculousness that is uh, the idea of, I don't know who creates a society and what society, what, what is the best of society, whether it's technology, technological innovation or industry or an economy. I think the ideas of a knowledge economy or a social, an artistic economy have totally dropped off the radar in terms of, Mm-hmm. How successful that like this idea of success is so overwhelming. These other ideas of growth as a human species. I don't know. Anyways, mm-hmm. I could go on for hours on that. <laughs> but I, I did want to ask um why the name? Why life after radio? Well, at first it was kind of personal because I I after I stopped working at the C B C I was feeling a little bit like I wanted to do some radio, but you know, I didn't really want to jump back into doing uh, campus radio, probably because it was, you know, it, it's it's really hard to get a show at CITR. You kind of have to mm-hmm. push your way in. And um, and I had been working at CJSF, but, like, it, you know, it takes, like, two hours for me to get up there on my bike. And right. I was just feeling a little bit frustrated. So it came out of um, me being at a point in my life where I was feeling like it was after radio and, like, mm-hmm. what was I going to do now? And being like, well, I guess I'll just do more radio. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's kind of a joke. I'm not saying that a lot of people think I'm saying that radio is dead. <laughs> um, and in fact, it's written on my website, "Radio is dead. Long live radio." Right. Because I don't. Obviously, I don't think it's dead. I think it's thriving, and I think it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's kind of playing on that idea that radio is dead and living on after that because it's actually still alive, but it's just taken new forms. Absolutely. And it's definitely seen a resurgence in terms of the popularity of old shows, of people tuning in now that they can have access to podcasts and listen mm-hmm. to their shows when they want to, rather than having to tune in at a specific time or whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I'm totally on the boat that radio is not dead, but radio has a completely different future ahead of it. Mm-hmm. And even like, like CATR, you guys have all your stuff podcasted too. So Absolutely. It's really, it is like such a neat hybrid of you know, future radio and traditional radio. Mm-hmm. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, th- I guess I wanted to ask, um, so far, you've Life After Radio's covered a number of topics, and you've touched on some of them. You've gone everywhere from love letters to live music venues, beer brewers to bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's inspired your each idea? Where, where have these um, themes come from? Well, it, it's kind of like whatever whatever grabs me at that time. Like, I do have a, an ongoing list of things that I want to get to and mm-hmm. that I've been slowly planning. Um, and then I get together with a small group of people in order to, to hash out these ideas and talk about them. Um, but it, it's kind of partly based on who's available to talk, because mm-hmm. two weeks is actually, for a show like this, actually a fairly quick turnaround for getting, you know, multiple interviews in line and, and editing them. So, you know, for instance, the show that I was planning to do next, it turns out the person I wanted to talk to was on vacation, so mm-hmm. I, you know, kind of switched back to another idea. Right. Um, and I want to have a little bit of flow in terms of, like, okay, last time I did, you know, a really uh, not-so-Vancouver-based show that was about, like, nature and the wild, and, and this time I want to do, you know, a Vancouver-based show that's about being in an urban atmosphere and doing exciting things. So, Yeah. Cool. Has one episode so far stuck out as like the most, the, either you've learned the most or has been the most exciting or interesting to produce? I think, I think my favorite was uh, number four, uh, Fun City, mm-hmm. uh, that I put up about a month ago. Um, and for that one, it was kind of tackling the idea that Vancouver is no fun city mm-hmm. and um, exploring some of the weird fun things that people do and going into strange little, you know, supper clubs mm-hmm. and dance parties and and things like that and recording them and for that one I made a conscious effort to use very little music and mostly just soundscape and I think that really 
for me, that paid off. And, and I got to go do a lot of really fun things and tape yeah. them. So. And it was really interesting as a listener for that to come out right around the time when the Junos were hitting town because there was all this hubbub in the sort of external atmosphere of, no, we've got to get rid of this idea that Vancouver's a no-fun city, so we're going to have ridiculous street parties yeah. that we're only going to support for this one single weekend to try and prove something to everyone. But yeah. I don't know about you, but I had a wristband and waited outside of so many different clubs that I wanted to get into but couldn't because oh, no. the VIPs were there and... It was just sort of, I, I don't know, fun city or no fun city. It was an interesting, uh, definitely a really timely time for your podcast to come out and see the other side mm-hmm. of, of things. Right, yeah, and there was also stuff about, like, I, I didn't talk about it in the podcast, but, like, Hoko from Hoko's, which mm-hmm. is, you know, a karaoke place and also one of the emerging live music venues in the downtown east side, um, he, you know, is, is potentially getting his license revoked. I'm not sure where the case is at now, but... Mm-hmm that was coming up and you know it just seems like it's always been a hot topic in vancouver definitely especially go ahead well i was just going to say people tend to cover it from the perspective of like oh vancouver's no fun and Mm -hmm. we're making it less fun and not from the perspective of like okay but what's going on that is fun and what are we doing about this Mm -hmm. and what are the obstacles that are standing in the way which has a lot to do with the licensing the venue licensing and bureaucracy, which hopefully, apparently, if I believe I read a, an article in either the West Ender or the Strait the other week, that there's at least one city councillor who's taking it under her wing to actually make these changes mm-hmm. start to go through the government and for there to be new licensing and revoke. Mm-hmm. So that's that's change, hopefully. Yeah, I definitely hope so. Well, actually, one of in the live show, one of the interviewees I was most impressed with was uh, Andrea Reimer, who's a current city councillor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the idea behind the show is I got um, all of the participants to dream up a vision of, of future Vancouver, of Vancouver at a specific time in the future. And Andrea Reimer's dream was really arts-based, like Hastings Street had been turned into a giant, you know, busker's mall. Mm-hmm. It had become like a hub of arts and culture. Things were thriving mm-hmm. in the downtown east side. It was like a really positive vision of Vancouver with, like, urban farms on the Nymo Street and stuff. So yeah. I was pretty stoked about that and that the person who thought of that was actually on our council and in a position to do something about it. So. Definitely. It gives us a little more hope for those of us who, who do want to see a lot more uh, culture mm-hmm. brewing in, in, in this here town. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, I think that's a good a good segue into the piece. Is there anything else you want to say, uh, like, to preface um, the show before I, I take us right into the Western Front this past Saturday? I guess just that um, it, it is kind of an atypical like, radio show, like, um, be, because it is a live show, and I've edited very little of it. Mm-hmm. So the other ones are a bit more traditional radio-ish in that I've, I've, you know, there's edits and segues and tiny music clips and things like that, and I play more with sound. Mm-hmm. The only other thing to say is that you're only going to hear the first half today, so That's right. you hear the second half, um, you can check it out on the website. And there's also an amazing and strange wine glass orchestra performance that I put up there in its entirety that also happened that night. Um, right. So uh, if everyone out there is listening and you, after you fall in love with Life After Radio, which you will hear the first part one of episode five in a few moments, head to, w- well, not www, just lifeafterradio.ca and you can listen to all of the podcasts so far. There, it, you are also available on um, iTunes, are you not? Yes, I am available on iTunes, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, and there's even, to make it easier, a little, like, subscribe on iTunes button on the website. So, mm-hmm. um, yes. So that's great. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today, and thank you for letting me play your most recent podcast on the show. I'm really, really excited for listeners out there to be able to hear it. Yeah, yeah, thanks for playing it. It's, uh, it's, it's great to get it on actual radio. So, yeah. No problem. All right. Here is Life After Radio 2009. This is episode five um, coming in here. And uh, if you want to hear more of Sarah's podcast, you can find her at lifeafterradio.ca. So here's fading in the sound. Welcome to Life After Radio. Of Life After Radio. Episode five. Visions of Future Vancouver. We decided to do something a little different with this show and stage it live with an audience at the Western Front, Canada's oldest artist-run centre. The idea behind the Future Vancouver show was to gather six Vancouverites, musicians, writers, politicians, bloggers, a good cross-section of the art scene, and give them a date in the future to imagine. 
they took the date and created a future Vancouver, which I interviewed each of them about in turn. In the first half, you'll hear from Andreas Carre, former director of Front Magazine, city councillor Andrea Reimer, and Chris Horrific, radio host and musician. In the second half, you'll hear from Carol Sawyer, Mimi Mahovlich, and Sean Orr. I was backed up musically by pianist Rachel Wadham, and our futuristic musical guests were a wine glass orchestra run by Her Jazz Noise Collective. You can hear their performance on a separate track on our website. But first, some thoughts from a strange record I pulled out of a free box a few years ago. You'll also hear some advice on imagining the future from Annie Spencer, a specialist in the field of foresight. I hope you enjoy the show as much as our audience did on May 9th. I'm your host, Sarah Buchanan, and this is Life After Radio, with a real live audience. Ah, greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives, whether we want to or not. And remember, my friend, these future events will affect you. So let us remember the past, honor the present, and be amused at the future. I predict fashions for both men and women will be exactly alike in the new unisex trend. The new tunics which will soon be worn have no difference except in size. Those who wish to wear nothing naturally will be free to do so. I predict that the entertainment personalities of the future will be entertainment personalities and nothing else. When someone pays admission to hear a singer or a comedian, they will not tolerate protest messages. They will demand and receive 100% entertainment, as this is the only thing that television or the radio sponsor will tolerate. I'm Annie Spencer, and I work in research, innovation, and foresight. How do you define what you do for work? The simplest way to describe it is that I'm a researcher. And I'm interested in gathering information and understanding what that means and what kind of impact that is going to have on us and our environment in the future. Since I work primarily with technology and systems thinking, in the past I've, I've called it foresight. So there's kind of an industry for this. There, there has, yeah, there's been a growing industry over the years of future people. Future people, and it's mostly spawned out of the design industry, design thinking. The process, if I were to briefly describe it, was three things. It was insight, hindsight, and foresight. And you work your way through those in that order, insight, where you look at the signals sort of on the horizon in the environment now, how are people using technology now, what, what is the behavior, really looking at the human behavior around that. And foresighting is about imagining what might be possible. I predict every able-bodied man in America will be asked to contribute to a sperm bank. This sperm bank will be open 24 hours a day, and a night depository would be accepted. I predict full medical attention by vending machines. I predict embalming by radar, where the body is turned to indestructible stone. Where do you see... Vancouver artistically in, say, 50, 60 years from now? It's hard to say. I mean, I really don't believe that I can predict the future in any kind of way because there's always wild cards. It's less important to try and predict how things will be in 50 years, and it's more important to imagine a number of possibilities of how things could be and design to your choice. Yeah. <laughs> so welcome everyone to the fifth episode of Life After Radio and a wonderful launch party and birthday party for Front Magazine. Having a fundraiser is a way to realize this crazy idea that I have of actually paying people. Um, and uh, it's, it's starting to actually happen, which is great, but 
having a fundraiser will help me do that a little bit more often and also potentially uh, create a training studio with a computer and a soundboard to be able to train more people and not have it just be me editing. And they're fictional interviews. I should stress that. Everything we hear tonight is, uh, you know, don't sue me over it because it's, it's, not, it's not really, it, it might be based in fact and reality, but even the past one is, is fairly fictional. So these are kind of dreams that you're hearing. Our first guest tonight is Andreas Carre, who we talked about a little bit earlier. He's come to us from the year 1989 to represent the past. You may know Andreas already as the former director of Front Magazine, or perhaps as the voice of the evil German giant in the snowboarding-themed video game SSX. <laughs> this is something you should never let slip in the pre-interview, because I will use it. Andreas, I'd like to welcome you to the stage. Hello, Andreas. Hello. How are you feeling tonight? I'm good. I'm feel, feeling very well. Okay. Mm. I'm going to ask you to speak a little bit more closely into the mic. Sure. In 1989, I know they had these huge, powerful microphones that this is true, yes. picked up voice from like yes. that far away. Or, yeah. People also talked louder in, in 1989. <laughs> yes, they did, actually. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, just to, to give us a sense of, of how things work in your world in 1989, I'd like you to describe what you did last night. Um, well, I, I got this thing. Um, it's a prototype. They haven't uh, released these yet. But um, you know, I, as you know, I've been working at the content provider group at uh, the Amalgamated Electronic Arts Western Front uh, Institute. And this, this was um, given to us so we could experiment with the theme music. Each content provider group, of course, is ethnically based. So this is the one that I'm leading at the moment. Do you want to hold that up to the microphone a little bit so we can? Uh... That's wow! It sounds like uh, like yodeling. It's... That's what it is. Yeah. That's correct. Um, so that's. Sorry, there's there's some buffering going on here. Um, I'm just going to give the uh, podcast a moment here. Life after radio. Actually, I'm going to hit you up with a a, an, a PSA while we're waiting. And uh, you're listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm going to be around my vegetables. I'm going to chow down my vegetables. I love you most of all. My favorite Sprouts. It's your 75 cent coffee fix in the sub. It's your source for reasonably priced, creatively named stew and vegan brownies. It's your purveyor of bicycle delivered local produce. It's also a place where volunteers can realize their vision of responsible business and where like minded students can explore UBC's food systems. Hark! Sprouts is currently accepting applications for next year's executive board and is encouraging ambitious, creative, and disciplined students from all faculties and year levels to apply. Come by Sprouts in the sub basement to learn more about our projects and how to get involved. I tried to kick the ball, but my tinny flew right up. I'm red as a beat, cause I'm so embarrassed. 5.28 and you're back on CITR 101.9 FM with the Arts Report. I'm going to return you now to the live broadcast of Life After Radio. This is a radio show produced by Sarah Buchanan. And the topic of the podcast is the future of Vancouver, so life after 2009. And she's joined by a guest, Andreas Carre, uh, who is describing what life was like in 2009. Here it is. Okay, and, and that will be the theme for the amalgamated Western Front. Well, I don't... Uh, what happened, of course, was that after Quebec seceded in, in uh, after the 
it's still going. After, when Quebec seceded, um, you know, the Western provinces joined the Cascadian Union, or the Cascadian Amalgam, as it was also known. And so, as a result, um, a lot of the, the cultural industry shifted because of the influence of Microsoft and, and, and Silicon Valley suddenly being so dominant in the Cascadian paradigm. So when the front was, uh, you know, when, when the Canada Council was turned into the integrated uh, uh, Cascadian content group, it, it, they suggested that the Western Front should become part of, you know, a kind of overarching cultural institution. And so we were joined with Electronic Arts. Uh, you know, some other places were too. The Grunt was. Uh, most of the artists on centers, really. So, you know. So tell me more about how the Western Front and Electronic Arts, like, what are, what are you creating that is combined with electronic cultural arts. content i mean you know they, they issued uniforms it, it the whole thing was streamlined which is what would you like to describe what you're wearing right now is, well, is it's, you know it's the black turtleneck it's it's a 50 percent polyester fabric 50 percent so, polyester yeah really mm-hmm, yeah it's sort of that it stretches yeah. um <laughs> and it, it has to be non-static um of course because the hard drives are sensitive still mm, and uh so we we ended up in a in a series of you know we we the Western Front moved to the uh, the Burnaby campus and that's where we've been now for a bit, for a bit. Um, I think the front is still running. I mean Eric Metcalf was was designated to kind of continue the performance program. So they they've been streaming from there. I think at fourteen kilo fourteen point four kilobaud ever since. Hmm. And it, is there how many people are at the front physically now? Uh, I think only there? Eric. I think Eric is the only one. <laughs> Last time I was there, I mean, normally we don't get in there anymore because you have to have, a, you know, our, our magnetic passes are specific to the content group. So, you know, Hank runs, Hank runs the Asian content group, for example, and right. I run the Bavarian one. And uh, so, you know, but we each only get into our specific location. Now, how often do you play the theme song that you played for us? Is it like the beginning of every meeting you play it? No, no, it's when we, when, when we generate content. It's, it's, you know, what they've done is they've made downloading the stuff. I mean, downloading is a strange word that we... We, we're just beginning to experiment with this, but but the uh, the daily Western Front broadcast on Cablevision is this is the new theme for it. So we have two hours of content that we have to come up with daily, um, and you know so it's at the beginning and the end. And were people? Well, Eric, I think, is still in charge. Well, it, of course, it's, it's, an, it's a trademarking issue. Uh, when we started out, you know, there were, they were very stringent uh, guidelines created. Microsoft really looked after that mostly. But, but we, we got a contract, and we were told which aspects of the Western Front we could keep. So we were allowed to use fur twice a year. That's the only thing that, that you know, comes from the, that. That's not very often. Do you feel a little bit limited by that? No, we got the leather part, so we're okay. I mean, oh. the Bavarian... Context, context kind of allows us. It, it yeah. sounds like kind of a proprietary world that you live in. Um, do you do you ever feel like you want to break out of that? Um, yes, of course. I mean, it, it can become restrictive, and the fact that it's all you know more or less now a mandatory event, and that, that curatorship has now become something that you have to participate in uh, in, a, in a weekly way. It, it, it sort of creates a situation where it is both what you wish for and what you need to be careful to have wished for, because um, you know, I mean, how much uh, how much user generated content do you really want to have? But but but. Yeah, I, I enjoy most of it. I mean, I have. Mm-hmm. Now, just looking around right now at, at the front, and how does it seem different to you from 1989? Uh, from your 1989? The microphones are different. I, I don't recognize <laughs> this one. Um, but, but they seem nice and small. Uh, well, for the most part, I think it's it's a change in the people. I mean, there's there. I've noticed there is less sex now. I mean, uh, you, you mean know. less overt sex, or just in general less? You know, Both, I think. Um, but but it, you know, again, speaking of the mandatory aspects, I mean, certain things. <laughs> So you're saying that sex is, is somehow mandatory? mandatory in- Not anymore. No, no. That's I think oh. what has changed. Phew. Yeah. Well, that's good. Are you relieved I- at that? You're in the fine print, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, relief. Well, well, I, I, you know, I did go to the sperm bank, but apart from that. Um, is there anything else that's different that you've noticed about the front? The people, perhaps? The dress? Um, 
It's not the dress so much. It's really what's what's missing. There are certain items that people used to wear. For example, I haven't seen you know crocodile leather bags for a long time, and there there the, the, definitely the hair is different than than it's been. Mm. But but on the whole, I think the the attitude is still similar. I mean, you know, there is a kind of um, sincerity to things that that seems to have persisted. So, how would you change, like, for example, my hair to make it more like? The 1980, 1989 hair that you're referring to. Well, in Bavaria, actually, it's it's an old expression from Berlin, but um, but but there is a type of hairstyle that used to be much more common. It was known as uh, well. It, the German word was Entwarnung, which literally means uh, the end of the alarm. It was after after the bombs had had, had stopped falling, and uh, the motto was everything up. So you just. Yeah. I, I, I think it's here it's known as the beehive sometimes. Okay, so you would make my hair more of a beehive? I wouldn't insist on it, but I'm sure it would be fetching. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, uh, just, you know, some, uh, just some last questions. Um, now that you're here mm-hmm. in 2009, I don't mm. know if you're aware that that's, that's where you are. I had a feeling I saw a okay. calendar outside that, yeah. Great, been... I'm glad that you put mm. two and two together. I was hoping you would. Um, now that you're here... Do you want to stay? Do you like what you see? I would have to see what my my you know my my pass would actually allow me to visit. I, I'm not sure where I'm permitted to go nowadays. It, mm. it's, you know, in, in it's I mean it's it's fairly free. You might have some trouble you know getting out the front door or the front. I hear sometimes it's locked and sometimes you know you can't get back in. But so you know I think. <laughs> That's sort of the same as before. That hasn't yeah. really changed. Yeah, um, but you could pretty much just you know get up and wander and, and explore if you really wanted to. I think I'll have a look before. Okay. Your your contractors aren't going to um, get mad that you're not back in 1989. Uh, well, I've left them with with uh, three days worth of work to do, so that they have a deadline to meet. But but I don't need to be there to supervise. We have we have people for that. Okay. Yeah. And you're allowed to wear something other than 50% polyester turtlenecks, just so you know. When you're going out there. I can? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, thanks, Andreas. Thank you. <laughs> and our second guest comes to us from the year 2029, where she is a former CBC Arts and Culture tweet reporter and the current head of the Buskers Union. (laughs) Rowan Reimer is also the daughter of a current city councillor, Andrea Reimer, and at 32 bears a stunning resemblance to her mother at the present time. Oh, here you are. You, you just, you've just arrived in front of me. Very Thanks cool. for having me. And I, you know, I hate it when people say I look like my mother. But since we're on the radio, nobody can kind of verify that, which is great. Yeah. Um, don't worry. We, we won't bring up your mother anymore. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So how are you feeling tonight? Oh, pretty good, you know. The, the winter's finally over. I just came back. I had uh, um, my mandatory two hours for this month over at the Nanaimo Street farm, um, ever since we took out Nanaimo Street and put in the farm on the east side. Um, you know, it's great. It's great to see how people come together in the community and help grow food, and makes it a little harder to get around on Nanaimo Street, but mm. there's always Victoria Drive. And you said it's mandatory. Is there any trouble with getting people to come out to the farm, or is it pretty volunt- like people like going out? You know, for me, because I've been so busy with the Buskers Union, and I actually just uh, took on writing a tweet novel, uh, so that's been oh. it's been a little challenging. I'm on chapter 300 right now, but I sort of <laughs> lost where it's going to go. Um, so for me, the two hours is you know what I can do. But I hear that they actually have trouble with people who want to work like 20 or 30 or 40 hours a week because it, you know, it's a great experience, especially on a night like tonight, to get out into the to the farm. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, you mentioned that you're the head of the Buskers Union. I wasn't actually aware that Vancouver had a Buskers Union. So can you tell me about your career as a busker and how that came to be? Sure. Well, I'd love to. You know, it's funny. I was just um, having dinner with my mom last night and got sort of filled in. I mean, I, I was around during all of that. But when you're a kid, you sort of it's like a strobe light where you see sort of events happen, but you don't really realize how they all fit together. Uh, So the Buskers Union, um, I actually started busking when I was about, I guess, 14 or 15. My mom had taught me how to juggle, and she taught me how to hula hoop. And she had always told me it was impossible to do both at the same time, because you do one up and one to the side, you know? So um, 
the year that we had the Hastings Street riots that eventually became the Hastings Street shutdown, um, we were living there on the street with, you know, 5,000 other people, and I didn't have a lot to do, so I just learned how to how to juggle and hula hoop at the same time. So that's how I got into busking. We just got the Mexican wrestlers brought into the buskers union. So oh, now we, we're at about 10,000 members across the city, which is wow. fabulous. And how, ma- how many uh, do the mes- Mexican wrestlers account for? Uh, the Mexican wrestlers, because you need so many of them in any sort of given performance. Right. Um, they brought in about 900 new members. So it's great to see them in. That sounds yeah. like there's, there's quite a thriving arts culture now, and it sounds like it has something to do with the Hastings Street riots that right, you've mentioned. Right, of course. Um, Can you tell me about that? So, yeah, no, so, you know, I had never understood that it all sort of went back to the Olympics, because I was only, <laughs> was only, I guess, 13 years old when the Olympics happened. So, mm-hmm. of course, they were really fun. Everyone really had a good time. Uh, but they were also pretty happy to see the backside of uh, a fairly large party leave the city. So when the city council in 2011 brought forward an idea about expanding performance venues and changing zoning laws so that you could have more performance venues in neighborhoods, all people could think about was that the Olympics would be everywhere all the time, and they just said, no, absolutely not. So Mm. there was the big, uh, you know, my mom, that's when she lost her term in office, and uh, Mayor Robertson, Gregor Robertson, also left along with the council. Um, and, of course, that, that um, paved the way that um, when Premier Campbell stepped down and Premier Kevin Falcon came in as, as our next Premier, um, you know, some of us suspected this all along, and as it turned out, he had this vision of turning Highway 1 right through downtown Vancouver. So, of course, it was going to go down Hastings Street. Hmm. So the people who fought that back in the 70s and those of us, you know, who were growing up, in that era, and my mother, um, huge spectrum of activists came together and said, enough is enough. And they literally took over Hastings Street. I mean, I, I always remembered it being a big party, and of course, that's how many of us remember it, because it completely revitalized Hastings Street. All of these people living out on the street, suddenly people were opening up cafes and performance spaces were opening, and all these derelict buildings that previously people couldn't wait to get rid of were actually being revitalized on the spot. I mean, people were would go in at 8 in the morning and kind of renovate the whole thing, and we'd have a kitchen to be able to eat out of by the nighttime, and then the next place would get done. And there's all these incredible spaces along there. So we sort of inadvertently, when uh, Premier Falcon left office in 2013, thanks to the voters, um, we had the largest pedestrian space in North America, and that led to this huge venue. I mean, we had all these buskers out on the street, and people saw that this wasn't about bringing the Olympics to Vancouver forever. It was about making arts and culture at a grassroots level, not at a sort of Coca-Cola sponsorship stage level, but mm-hmm. a grassroots level, part of our everyday life. And did this have sort of a, a ripple effect on the rest of the city? Were there, oh, yes. Were there other initiatives that happened that created more performance venues for people in Vancouver? Yeah, and you know, my mom was telling me last night that one of her proudest moments was when Carisdale finally allowed buskers onto 41st and West Boulevard. Um, but of course it spread across the city because people were looking at Hastings Street going, this area, like not just the area of the downtown east side, but the entire thing went from being a traffic nightmare, um, a zoning problem, I mean, just a huge problem to being this, uh, the envy of North America, if not the world. And in fact, um, I was just meeting with the Buskers Union from Copenhagen who was saying, how can we get what you have in Copenhagen? <laughs> so, you know, it really was the beginning of everything for us. It, and, and once we, you know, didn't need car, when we realized we didn't need Hastings Streets for cars, well then, you know, King Edward was the next to go. We turned that into the first farm for the city. And then Nanaimo Street, of course. Uh, and now we have all these pedestrianized areas and we have space for artists, um, both incubation indoor spaces, buskers. I mean, to get 10,000 people out on the streets, on the street corners, if you would have told my mother that back in her day that this would happen, she would have just probably died laughing, especially after she lost that election, for suggesting that this was possible in any way, shape, or form. That must have been hard. Ah, well, she says it's one of the best things that ever happened. Well, I guess it did lead to a revitalization of things. Um, and your position at the CBC, um, we're all a little bit worried about the, the CBC right now because there's been a lot of budget cuts and we don't really know how long it's, you know, if it's going to keep surviving and trucking on. Um, in, in fact, this radio show that I'm doing, I don't know if you know, it's a result of my contract position at the CBC uh, running out. So can you tell us a little more about the fate of the CBC? 
In the year 2029, I was going to say budget cuts. I I hadn't heard about any. Um, You know, ever since that whole period of time, I mean, it really makes sense to me now, talking to my mom last night and sort of thinking about all that, and of course having the Rady interview to focus on today. We, um, when my mom was in office, arts and culture were kind of this thing you did over there. It had sort of its own little box, and when you had money, you would put it into it, but otherwise it didn't happen, basically. Um, And now, you know, because I grew up in this sort of, I grew up in the transition zone, it's hard for me to understand it, but arts and culture are just part of our culture. it's It's what we do now. Like, you would not have a school, for example, where music and fine arts and you know visual arts that all of that wouldn't be a core part of the curriculum that kids would be doing every day that you wouldn't have um, a public space that wouldn't in some way have arts and culture heavily integrated in it not just the visual arts but also performance arts of some kind Um, so you know the CBC is very well funded because it's one of the things that holds us together across the country of course since Alberta left um, it's been a lot easier to kind (laughs) of Hold it all together. Yeah, how is that going? I mean, is traveling through there difficult? Are there barricades? Oh, no, they need our money, right? Because Mm -hmm. nobody's... The the one industry they were depending on turned out to be a bit of a a loser. I mean, you just kind of... I think we can all guess what that is. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you said that arts and culture are a huge part of every day. Can you, you know, maybe quickly describe a typical day in 2029? Well, you know, the... um, the SkyTrain station, I remember getting on it as a kid, and it, you know, it was pretty functional. There was that little machine that you would press the buttons on, and this ticket would come out, and then you'd go up the stairs. But it was kind of, I think there was probably, like, advertising and stuff, because I, I remember talking to my mom about some of the ads and stuff on the SkyTrain. Of course, that's all gone now, right? Like, when you go to get your ticket, you buy it from an actual human being, and there's a busker in the station, and when the the rotating artwork that's on the stairs as you go up, and the poetry in transit now is a a super huge program. I remember it a bit from when I was younger, but now, you know, of course, it covers the entire SkyTrain when you're inside of it. And then when you get off the other side, it's the same thing. And when you're traveling along the SkyTrain line, of course, there's all the... um, uh, the baffling that you can see along the, the industrial areas where they have the art work that's actually elevated so that that's what you're looking at as a view corridor as you travel. So, mm-hmm. you know, everything that you do is sort of incorporated in it. And, and of course, we're, you know, the city, now that the province just is sort of uh, Premier Luongo's kind of a, a figurehead, um, <laughs> and the, the municipalities have all the power, right? I mean, right. we now have the taxation authority. We're able to invest the money that we need to be able to pay all the artists and residents that we have and to make sure that buskers have space and can have a good living. Wow. Well, it sounds like a, uh, a pretty amazing future, and it's one that I, I look forward to, uh, to joining. Well, it's not like there's not problems. I mean, now West Van wants to be annexed by Vancouver because, you know, their model didn't turn out so well. Big houses are expensive to heat right now. So, mm. you know, but we figure that um, it's a good for the Buskers Union because there's a, a lot of corners over in West Vancouver. That's true. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, I know my mom has designs on a, a farm, perhaps, up the hill there, some good southern exposure, so. Mm, yeah. yeah, I've heard. Well, once we get them into geothermal heating, I think maybe... Uh, you know, there's some danger of them, you know, seceding again because then heating will be cheaper. Well, you know, it was a choice they had to make back in 2010, 2015, and yeah. Vancouver went one way, they went another, and now they're knocking on our door, not the other way around. They always come crawling back, don't they? <laughs> they do, they do. Well, thank you very much, uh, Rowan, and uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you about the future. All right. Great. third guest tonight is a man who apparently needs no introduction. In fact, at his request, I'm not even going to tell you who he is. Uh, I'm just going to ask him to come to the stage.
You know, a lot has changed in 20 years, Rhymer. Maybe you don't know who I am, or who my dad was, or who my grandfather was, but I am, I am Chris Horrific III, and I am an Olympian. That's quite a medal you have there. <clears throat> Chris, what, what was this medal for? Um... It is one of 30. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking about what uh, Miss Reimer was saying, and it just seems like such a fairy tale now. Because people like me seem to have crushed those ideals, and it's about time. Are you with me? <clears throat> Look. Is that a stop? No, of course not. <laughs> you know, the Olympics was great. We all had a, ch- a couple chuckles about, what, 40 years ago? Uh, people were running fast. Life was kind of good, but who was watching? Do you know how many people watched me on their iPhones? Billions! Billions of people! Billions of people watched me! Me! I wasn't a former Olympian. I was a current Olympian two months ago. Won 30 medals. 30! 30 medals! Short track, speed skating. Long track, speed skating. Biathlon! Whatever they do on the mountain now. Bobsledding. Sledding. Bobbing. Socking. If there was no skates, there would be a gymnasium. And I would take off my shoes and I'd be sledding. Everyone out there is a lot larger than me. You know why? I am the thinnest person in the world right now. I'm the thinnest person. I am the most active. Excuse me. Now, Chris, you're, you're coming to us from the year 2049. Yes, Miss Buckenden. Buchanan, actually. <clears throat> And uh, can I just, I'd like to draw some attention to the fact that the Olympics were in 2010. Oh, yes. Well, that is true. But, wow. So? But I'm just, you know, I just, I'm trying to fill in the gaps here of, you know, you you seem really excited about what you, what you did during the Olympics, but I'm really interested in finding out, you know, kind of what's going on right now and. And what's happened in that in, in 2049 year gap, you know? or in 2010? Well, you know, well, let's start with 20, 2010. Yes. As you call it. Um, you, you seem pretty excited about the events that happened in 2010. Well, now. in 2014, people started cloning, and it was great. And I'll tell you why. Because the food that most people ate was really fattening. Really fattening. The duck was five times as fattening as usual. You could feel yourself getting fatter, but I couldn't eat it. My grandfather, Chris Riffick, ate it a lot. He died at 38. Sorry, baby. But I was allergic to it. So I was the thinnest guy. The Latvian guys, they couldn't even get up the steps to get their bronze medal. Me, on the other hand got up to the gold medal thing, did a flip. There's the national anthem. I got, I'm being weighed down by my 11 teen medals and whatever I said. And it was fantastic. Life is good in 2049, if you're a sports fan. And also, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry. I wanted to also say that uh, if you hear interviews by sports people, now they're always so non-insulting, like the, the, the hockey, which isn't around anymore. It's not, sorry. But the, you know why? Someone because the interviews... I'm so sorry. The, I'm, I'm sorry. The, because the interviews were so boring, but... Every interview that I've ever given, I have taken down a strip. My, uh, my Latvian counterparts, there's only two countries, and there's Canada and Latvia. But Latvia sucks. All those guys are fat knobs that don't know anything. Excuse me. <laughs> um, 
so I'm understanding that that you know it's it's a dichotomous world that's that's happening here. There's Canada and, and Latvia. Dichotomous is that like a hippopotamus? I don't even know. It's 2049. Keep it slow. Keep it slow for me. Okay, Keep I'm, I'm understanding that there's, uh, as you said, there's two countries, Canada and Latvia. And yeah. as you said, Latvia sucks. And uh, is, is there some warring going on, or is it all through sports? Oh. It's, we don't war anymore. We just, you know, uh, take off our shoes and slide around in gymnasiums. But we win. We're in, in socking. We're winners. Latvia, they don't even know. They don't even have socks. Poor. What kind of socks are you wearing right now? Are these, are these premium socking socks? Oh, I hope, I hope, it's, I hope it's the one. This, this was a former... This, I'm so sorry. This was a former base, uh, football team, the BC Lions. BC Lions. They're not yeah. around anymore because, I know, in uh, 2016, uh, football players got to be 600 pounds. 600 pounds? That was the quarterbacks. That was the quarterbacks. There is one famous uh, match between the uh, BC Lions and the whatever-whatevers. And uh, uh, seven fatalities that decided to not have football anymore. That might have been wise after seven fatalities. This socking that you're talking about, can you, can you show us? Is this something you can show us here on this stage? Um, I was kind of practicing and I'm kind of tired, but I will for you. So, okay. No, please. <laughs> Great for radio, Sarah. Great for yep, radio. Yep. <laughs> try that, Erlenmeyer from Latvia. You try that. That was, you know, for, for the radio listeners, Chris just, uh, he took off his shoes and, and sort of slid kind of across the stage. So I'm getting the impression here that you, you're a former Olympian. Current Olympian. I'm a current Olympian. I got about 70 more years of being an Olympian. No? Maybe I see the audience disagrees. Your socking technique is, I can't deny that it's, it's interesting. I was graceful. I was ballet-ish. Were you competing against anybody else in that sport? Uh, I'm sorry? Did you have competitors in the sport, or was it kind of just you? Well, yes, I... What have I been talking about? There's two countries. There's one... Okay, look. There's, there's 178 Canadians that all fight in soccer in the Olympics. And I was the best. I was the best because I am... What? I'm a good... 245? <laughs> but, but the other Canadians, as much as I love them, they're friends of mine, right? That kind of dumb... But from the duck. But my me being the best, me being the best, and not being allergic to eating duck uh, faces the best of Latvia. Yeah. We win. I win all the time. I've won 30, 30 medals. Not just in socking. Not just in socking. No, no, not just in socking. What else? Well, let me tell you. There is this. The it's not a bobsled anymore because there's not really snow anymore. there's not that much snow and uh, and not that much ice uh, and you know how the olympics always went from like one country to the other there's only two and there's only one place that actually has the olympics because it's the only facility that has like all the facilities right the big gymnasium las vegas and it's the co- and it's for some reason it's the coldest yeah. too so it's new las vegas i'm sorry it's new las vegas of canada and and that's where we all go and that's where we perform that's where i win that's, that's where you. i win well chris you know i think we've really realized tonight that you're a winner and that in the year 2049, you do a lot of winning. Behold. And that concludes the first half of our live show with a real audience. 
I encourage you to come back and listen to the second half. And I encourage you to come back and listen to the second half as well. And if you want to hear more of Sarah and Life After Radio, please, please, please visit our website. It's lifeafterradio.ca. And uh, you can listen to all of the podcasts through that website. She's on iTunes. She has definitely got a Facebook site as well. So if you want to tune in, she will. Sarah's also going to have an episode of Life After Radio on CJSF tomorrow. So if you're listening to both CITR and CJSF, you can find her there. But as for me here on CITR, this brings us to the end of another arts report. My name is Tracy Fuller, and if you want to send me a line, you can always reach me at arts at citr.ca. I hope the weather clears up. I hope you have a wonderful bike to work week, and I hope that the rain doesn't deter you from getting on those pedals. Have a great one. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, lifeafterradio.ca. It's where it's at. For Arthur Cravan by Steve McCaffrey. A perfume like the sugary footnote. At this point, perfume, the two people are located in the two separate hemispheres of existing area of action. Drops. Footnote. The third person enters with each foot bisecting the double areas of interaction. Perfume drops. The sweet thrash arousing these feathers. Footnote. At any time between perfume drops feathers, the hemispherical areas of interaction may be altered. The these. All like a clinch. Footnote. Penultimate adaption of hemispherical areas of interaction to be implemented at any time during prearranged duration of this interaction. Perfume drops all feathers clinch. When the shattered light is rose, footnote, this is entirely doubtful as the fourth person must be introduced into area one of total areas of hemispherical interaction, perfume drops all feathers clinch at colors, the type of entry permissible up to an